Amen, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good to be with you guys today. Welcome to our 8 o'clock service. Could you guys be, <laughs> doesn't it feel like 8 o'clock or 6 o'clock or whatever it feels like? I'm getting too old for this time change thing, man. I don't know about you. Some of you watching at home, you probably just decided you woke up and said, oh, it's an hour later, so you stayed home. God bless you wherever you are. If you're here with us worshiping, if you're there online worshiping, we're glad to have you. A special shout out to Jesse Simmons. We were uh, uh, doing some stuff on the uh, West Coast this week, and I flew home yesterday with her, and she said, hey, would you give me a shout out? So Jesse Simmons, shout out to you, all right? There it is. It's that easy, people. It's just that easy, all right? And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here with us. Uh, later on, Tyler's going to talk about Easter, and he's going to encourage you to sign up for one of our three services, 8 or 9.45 or 11.30. Can I just encourage you to do that? It's just so important uh, that we uh, gather this Easter particularly after a year. You know, we didn't have Easter gathering in 2019 or 2020, but uh, this year we hope to, and uh, prayerfully you'll be a part of that, and invite your friends. So if you're visiting today, we're glad you're here. At any time during this message, text hello to that number that will pop up on your screen. We want to pray with you. We want to get to know you. Uh, we want to get you to, to journey with us in, um, in our following of Jesus Christ. Well, today we come back to this door that represents the way out. It's a door uh, to the home of a a fictional Hebrew family in Goshen in northern Egypt 3,500 years ago, and it's also a picture of a spiritual door for all of us all these years later. And, uh, and the door has changed since last weekend. Last weekend, it was covered by the blood on the, the, the doorpost and the lintel at the top, but now we have it draped with um, the symbol of death, a black drape. And, and this symbolizes the fact that those who were outside of the door, faced a night of terror. We're going to read about in just a moment. And uh, this is a result of God's judgment. We're talking about judgment today. And uh, we're not as culturally uncomfortable with judgment as you might suppose. In fact, I find us to be one of the most judgmental cultures, not even just behind closed doors, but vocally on social media, we have a tendency to judge people very quickly. Let me give you an example. And I promise you, you, me, God, nobody will disagree with the judgments that I'm talking about. We're, for example, when, when we, it's revealed that a doctor for the USA women's gymnastic team sexually violated over 250 girls during a decades-long stretch of evil, we don't have any problem saying guilty, shame, hope you lose your job, hope you lose your reputation, and other worse things. No one feels sorry for what he gets. In the same way, when several women accuse a world-famous preacher of sexually inappropriate comments and actions, no one feels sorry for him that he loses his reputation and his job and the life's work that he built. He deserves it. When a video goes viral of a police officer abusing power in a way that results in death, we culturally declare guilty. There are cries for him to rot in jail and worse, you've read them, you've seen them, you've heard them. When a public figure, politician, or athlete, or celebrity, by the way, I could have used about six or seven examples this week. When, when somebody who's a public figure uses a racial slur or makes degrading comments about women, we call for their jobs, and it's only because we can't call for their heads. Our blood boils in judgment even more passionately when we hear things through the news about uh, child pornographers or evil men who sell 
10-year-old girls into sex slavery. We want them to pay. We want them to suffer. We want them to get a taste of their own medicine. Such evil brings cries for their death. Further, when we think historically of evil people like a guy named Hitler who killed 6 million Jews just because he could, we are sure we know where he is. Listen, I've never met anybody who's not okay with Hitler burning in hell. Right? Why this light topic? Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to Judgment Day. <laughs> uh, it's a perfect topic for us today because we've lost sleep and we're grouchy anyway. Let's talk about judgment. Let's talk about guilty. It, my point that I was trying to illustrate is that when it comes to judgment, we think we're really not comfortable with it, but we're very much more comfortable than we think. It's very easy for us to identify bad stuff in other people and go, you deserve this, which brings us back to this door, a door that represents freedom for those on the inside, but a door of judgment and death for those who are outside of this Passover door, for those outside of the Passover door, as we find in Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 29, it's a door, a night-filled terror door of judgment and death. Now, before those of you who are visiting online or those of you visiting here check out, don't. Because this may not be the message that you want to hear today, but it's a message that we need to hear. And this is ever bit of, as much of the Word of God as God loves us. And by the way, the end of all of it, always, every good sermon will end with, for God so loved the world. Here we go. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, and he said, Up, go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said, and take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through this, this crazy part of the story. God, would you, would you help me say what you want to have said? Um, help me represent your heart well. Help me preach the truth of Jesus Christ through the judgment and the condemnation of this scene. God, we, uh, we stand condemned before you because, you know, we're no more righteous than Pharaoh or any of these other people we talked about. And so um, would you help us hold on to and grab on to the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ today? And I pray if there's someone who is outside of the door that's covered by the blood of the Lamb, today will be the day they come in. God, I, I just, it's just desperately time. And I pray that you would do that in them today. So God, would you um, just use your word, use the lifting up of your son Jesus, draw us close to you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, <laughs> again, to state the obvious, if, you, if this is the first Sunday that you invited your friend to church, hey, you're going to love this, sorry. And then not sorry. Because as I said earlier, this is not a sermon that most of us want to hear, but it is a sermon that we need to hear. 
It's a sermon that we can't ignore because the reality is the coming judgment of Jesus is real and it's true. And just because the people outside this door go, what are those crazy people doing spreading blood on their door? I don't believe in the death angel. I don't believe in the condemnation to come. Just because they didn't believe it doesn't mean it didn't come. The truth is, there was not a house in Egypt that didn't experience the judgment of God. And, uh, and here's the funny thing uh, for me. It's not funny, but it's an interesting reality for me as a pastor, how our culture seems to find judging people really easy when it's big stuff, like I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon. But when it comes to God bringing judgment on people, we're like, oh, those poor people. Why is God so mean? In fact, there's a lot of questions and thoughts that people have about the judgment of God. When we look at the Old Testament, we look at God and we get we a lot of questions. And some of your friends who are not followers of Jesus Christ, and perhaps some of you who are maybe newer to the faith, you're going, what's up with Old Testament God? So I've just kind of put some of these thoughts and these questions together for us to review. Maybe you have them. Maybe you want to answer them. Maybe you don't understand them. Maybe you're brand new and you're going, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Question number one is, how can a loving God send someone to hell? How is it possible if God loves people to send people to hell? When we think of God, he says that he's love. We find it hard to accept that he would just judge somebody so harshly and so eternally. How is it possible? This question causes many people not to believe in God or not to believe in hell. They just write it off. You know what? Passover's not coming. God's not mad. God's not upset about the sin of the, of the Pharaoh. Just, just ignore it. This door doesn't exist. Don't worry about everything that Moses has said. How can a loving God send someone to hell? I'll answer that in just a minute. What about those who never heard of God? For some reason, when it comes to God's judgment and the end days and all the stuff that's going to come at the end of the world, most of us get very concerned about it not being fair. We're very concerned that somehow somebody's going to stand before the throne and God's going to go, sorry, you can't come to heaven. That's not fair. And they'll be right. So we worry about people who are raised in another religious setting like Pharaoh or like a Muslim friend of ours, perhaps. Or we all get suddenly concerned about the proverbial pygmy tribe in South America that never has a chance to hear about Jesus Christ. I'll try to address that a little bit later. Why is God so angry in the Old Testament? Why is he so, what, you know, who just made him mad? What side of the bet? Was it, you know, was it time change in the Old Testament for him and he's just angry, he's, he's grouchy? Why is God so seemingly different? Why does he kill all the firstborn? Every house, even the cows weren't safe. Why is it that he kills so many people so harshly, so suddenly? Why is God in the Old Testament so angry? I'll try to answer that in this sermon. And then finally, really, when it comes down to it, don't all basically good people just go to heaven? I mean, don't basically, when it comes down to it, not the people that we talked about earlier in the sermon, of course they don't go to heaven. I'm talking about me and my friends and the people who are kind of good people. Don't we get a pass? God's judgment's not for us. Now, if you're a visitor, you've wondered these things, you don't fully understand, here's my pastoral biblical question that, that supersedes all these questions. Are you sure? When it comes to these questions, 
Whatever answer you give, are you sure about the answer? Because if you're not sure about the answer, there are eternal consequences. Pharaoh, I do not know your God. I do not know your people. I don't care what your God says. You can't let my people go. Pharaoh, it's going to be bad. I don't believe it. I don't care. Why is your God so angry? I'm a basically good Pharaoh. I'm going to be fine. Are you sure? Because on Passover night, what you thought was not true. And I, there's no way for me not to preach this sermon without being very serious with us today, guys. This is a serious topic. There's not a bunch of humor. I was reading through this this morning again with coffee going, well, this is not very funny. Then I thought, well, there's nothing funny about this. There's just not much fun to talk about when it comes to the justice and the judgment of God. But these are crucial points and questions that we have to look at. In fact, if we don't look at the judgment of God, we can never appreciate the grace of God. And so we have to understand this. So let's look at God's judgment through this Passover reality, and let's just begin here. I want you to see the justice of God's judgment. I want you to see that if you saw Pharaoh and the people of Egypt the way that God saw them, you would go, yes, you get that. You deserve that. It's on you. I want to remind you how this story starts in Exodus chapter 116. Remember a Pharaoh came along that didn't know Joseph and his brothers and his family. And they started growing. He said, this is going to be bad. You know what we're going to do? We're going to wipe them out. And in chapter 116 of Exodus, he gave a command that the midwives who helped the Hebrew uh, women deliver their babies to kill any baby boy. You feel bad for them? Because lots of boys, baby boys, lost their lives. Then, when that wasn't working, he comes back in chapter 1, verse 22. And he decides, you know what? Just If you're an Egyptian person, just throw any Israelite baby boy that you know, that you see is born, throw them into the Nile. Now again, they're doing something really bad. We call this genocide in our world. And that had gone on for, that was 80 years previous. This is a different Pharaoh, but certainly he has carried on the prejudice and the racism and the killing of, of Hebrew people. How many little babies were killed just because Pharaoh didn't want them in his land? This is not to mention the cruel slavery the Egyptians went through for 400 years. Does anybody still feel bad for Pharaoh and his people? They enslaved these people. They tortured their people. They beat these people. They made them build the pyramids, right? They killed their baby boys. If, if that was happening in today's world, you guys would be texting mean things to at real Pharaoh. And you'd be saying, oh, what a terrible scumbag. He should die. We should get rid of him. He should lose his job or worse. You would not feel bad about the death of his firstborn because of all the evil he's done. There's one other thing. They were worshiping false gods. If you look in chapter 12, 22, we didn't read it, but this is the reason the Lord's bringing judgment in another sense. Verse 12 says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn of the land, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. These people worshiped the Nile River. They worshiped cows. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped all kinds of false gods, and they sacrificed to them. And God said, listen, you are killing my people. You are enslaving my people. You are worshiping gods who are not gods, and I'm going to bring judgment upon you. Guys, listen, I, I just want to tell you, it's fair. The justice of God's judgment. Passover is fair. 
Now, before you get too self-righteous here today and think that you're nothing like Pharaoh or the people, uh, we're pretty good compared to Pharaoh. By the way, if you're saying, well, I'm a good guy compared to Hitler and Pharaoh, (laughs) we got a ways to go. But the truth is, I need to remind you what the Bible teaches us about all of us. You, you, you notice that I didn't mention, except for Hitler, any of the names in the introduction of my sermon because it's really easy to look at them and go, oh, that guy, that lady, that person, they're bad, I'm good. Let's just get that notion out of our heads. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. And the just thing, the fair thing, the right thing for God to do would be to make us pay. In fact, Romans 6.23, three chapters later, says the wages of sin is death. That's the reality. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of what? Judgment. That's it. That's what we can expect. If we don't come under some other sacrifice, some other system, if we go on sinning deliberately, even though there has been a sacrifice for sins, we face the fearful expectation of judgment. That's the way it is. And so judgment In this case, the death of the firstborn is fair. Let's just get over that notion right now. Nobody's ever going to be able to look to God, and and he goes, oh, sorry, you have to spend eternity away from me. That's not fair. God's not fair. You can say that about your parents. You can say that about your spouses. Say that about your job, your workplace, whatever it is. There's a lot of unfair in the world, but with God, fair. He's fair, which leads to the second part of judgment that I want us to pay attention to, the warning of God's judgment. God just doesn't zip into some places and smoke people and go, well, it was right. It was fair. It was just. If we come to the question if this was fair or not, and we wonder if any judgment against anybody historically is going to be fair, um, we look at Pharaoh. And, And many of us would defend Pharaoh. Many of us would come today and go, well, Pharaoh grew up in a polytheistic society. He was trained in hieroglyphics and all the ways of the Egyptian people. And really, what chance did he have to become someone who might follow God and and the people of God, the the true uh, God of the people of Israel? Well, here's what I want to just remind you of. There were at least nine very, very serious warnings for him that God was coming. In fact, we said this earlier when we talked about the plagues. Do you remember this passage? Look it up later because it's a profound moment when Moses and Aaron are bringing all these plagues on the people and he's trying to get his magicians to, you know, to imitate all of these plagues. And then in chapter 8, verse 19, the, his own advisors come to Pharaoh and say, this is the finger of God. So my thing to you and anybody else who would go, God's a mean old God who just likes to smoke people when he gets mad. No, God warned Pharaoh nine times to the point where even his advisors believed that this was God. This was something other than all of our Egyptian gods. (laughs) Nine warnings. Listen, guys, if God gives you repeated chances to escape impending doom and you ignore him, then the judgment he warned you about is on you, not him. 
If there's a sign, just really simply think of this. If you are driving down a road and there is a big sign that says, warning, bridge out ahead, and you go, whatever, don't believe in bridges, don't care, doing it my way, dead, you cannot blame the sign. The sign told you. In fact, sometimes I think that, you know, Christians like me will just like ignore stupid rules that we think are stupid rules, and we'll get to heaven and the Lord will go, hey, it said bridge out ahead. Clown, grace of Jesus, come in. When people ask, what about people who don't have a chance? I believe, biblically speaking, that we should assume that no such people exist. What about the pygmies? You're assuming that God doesn't have a plan to reach them. What about people who are raised by? You're assuming that God has not spoken to them. I've spoken to Muslims who have received visions from God to go read the Bible. That's how they became Christians. We are assuming that God doesn't have a plan for everybody that he sent his son to save. But in fact, I believe he does. Think of Jonah in the Old Testament, one of our favorite stories. In Jonah chapter 3, he doesn't say, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them, get ready because it's over. He doesn't say, go to Nineveh and watch because I'm going to smoke the place with fire and thunder. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and here's the whole sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached. Chapter 3, verse 4 of Jonah. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God is giving them 40 days to get it together. Judgment's coming, but the warning of God's judgment in Scripture is always there. The same thing happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't get that story as much in Genesis, although we see Abraham saying, God, if there's 50 righteous people, 45 righteous people, 40 righteous people, 35 righteous people, you think I'm making this up, this is in the Bible. 25 righteous people, Lord, please don't be patient with me. 20 people, and he gets down to Listen, I'm telling you, Abraham, if there are five righteous people in all of Sodom and Gomorrah, in all of New York City, if there are five righteous people, I'll spare them. But there weren't. What we find out later from testimony in the New Testament is that Lot spent time, his heart being broken, and preaching to people every day going, repent, 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 repent. And so when Jesus comes along, he uses these two examples of Nineveh and Sodom and Gomorrah to remind me and you and the people in the first century, hey, I'm warning you, this is what it's going to look like. I've got those scriptures down for you. I hope you go look at them later. But when he was talking in Bethsaida and Chorazin, he said in Matthew 10, 15, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. You know why? Because they had Lot. You have me. Judgment's coming. Matthew eleven twenty two. 22. He's warning Capernaum, Capernaum, which was his hometown. There's a sign outside of Capernaum, hometown of the Messiah. He did more miracles there than any other place in the New Testament that we have recorded. And yet, these people weren't believing in him. So he said, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon. Because if I would have preached these same messages and done these same miracles on Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented but no mercy for you because I'm warning you God's judgment is coming. Matthew 12, 41, again, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and they'll condemn it because some Yahoo goes in and says, repent or 40 days from now you're gonna be smoked and they repented and the son of God is here giving you life and words of life and you are ignoring it. Now, if you think that Jesus wasn't about judgment, you know, a lot of people wanna make God, Old Testament God, mean old angry dad with a white beard 
And Jesus, just like a cool guy that loves everybody, is like, hey, come on in, man, you're my pal. But the truth is, is that Jesus speaks extensively about judgment. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. In verse 41, he goes on to say, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Chapter 25, verse 46, he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. Sounds to me like Jesus believes in a coming judgment, not unlike the death of those outside of this door in Egypt. And here's what I want to say to you. This is a warning. It's a warning for us. This door is a warning for us. It's a warning for those of us who don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Listen, this dumpy old pastor is telling you in March 14th, 2021, you need Jesus or you are going to face judgment. I just can't get more urgent than that. I usually say, if you have not made a decision about Jesus Christ, wait till the sermon's over. I'm telling you right now, text hello right now because we don't know when our midnight is. Warning, the bridge is out ahead. This is the clear teaching of the first followers of Jesus as well. This is how Peter describes it in his last letter right before he died, by the way. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. That's the reality. And maybe you're spiritually on the wrong side of the door today, and I want you so badly to hear the warning from God today. If you're here and you have not said, yes, Jesus is my Lord, he is my Savior, and you followed up with baptism to exhibit this inside decision in an outward way, the midnight hour of judgment is coming just as sure as it was in Egypt all those years ago. And anyone who ignores God's way out through Jesus will just be missing the warnings that he sent. I want to show you something else that's cool. The patience of God's judgment. It's coming. Hey, you deserve it. It's coming. Warning, warning, warning. But I'm going to be patient and wait. These nine plagues also indicate God's patience. How many of you would have given 10 plagues? I don't have that much patience. We, 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 do, we do this with parenting. You've either experienced this as a child or you've done this as a parent or a grandparent. I'm going to count the three. One, two, don't make me get the three. Because then I'll have to go, one. <laughs> well, God's way better than us. God's like, one, two, Pharaoh, three, four. Don't make me count the ten. Don't make me get here. I don't want to get here. I don't want to take lives. I want repentance. I want salvation. But Jesus, God, is so patient that he waits. I want you to hear this today. If you think there's a mean Old Testament God who just wants to destroy everybody, that's not his go-to move. God's go-to is not just like, listen to me one time, you get one chance, and then boom, it's over. God has lots of patience. Back to the story of Nineveh and Jonah, if you remember it. 
They were as wicked as Pharaoh. They were as bad as the Egyptian people. They had false gods. They, they sacrificed children in sacrifices to their gods. But when they sincerely and humbly repented in sackcloth and ashes, Jonah 3.10 tells us this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Ticked off Jonah, by the way. You said you were going to destroy them, and God says, that's not how I am. Look, their hearts have changed. They're different. I desire mercy. That's who I am. In fact, we said this earlier in this series in Exodus. We showed this passage. This is God's introductory to Moses. Moses, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Now look at this slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love or fove. It's probably my typo. <laughs> abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it goes on to say, but will by no means let the guilty go free. So what is it about God? Well, God's a God who is saying, listen, fair is fair. You guys deserve it. But I'm warning you, it's coming. And I'm patiently waiting for you to turn around. In fact, we love this verse because it talks about the hope that we have and how God's being patient. Many of us have lived a week this week. We're going, why doesn't God come back now? In fact, during COVID-19, I've thought more as your pastors like, you know, this is a good time. If you're done with the world, Lord, come on. We're good. But you know why he hasn't returned yet? You know why midnight hasn't struck yet in our lives? Because the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. He doesn't wish that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Think about the families that you know that don't know Jesus. Think about the names you've been praying for for Easter. Think about the people in your family and friends who are outside of Jesus Christ right now. When I think about them, I don't want the Lord to come today. Because their devastation is the same as the people of Egypt. Guys, listen, God's judgment against Egypt was sure, but he patiently gave time for repentance. He did the same with Nineveh, and he does the same with us. This week's door activity, nobody wants to go to the door of judgment. Maybe some of you said, yes, this is our door, our Passover door at home. Maybe you guys put some blood on it. Some of you guys posted those pictures. Nobody wants to do what I'm going to ask you to do now, and that is put something that represents death and the names of people who are outside of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, that's a bit forward. It's a little bit shocking. It's a little bit too much. Not any more shocking than this. That's the reality. And if it's urgent for those people who are outside of Jesus Christ, how much urge, more urgent should it be for those of us who know Jesus? Guys, I'm telling you today, if you have a relative, if you have a friend, if you have a coworker or a fellow student, and today you know that they stand on the wrong side of this judgment door, I'd call them. Well, that's weird, Pastor. You know what's weirder? Spending eternity in hell. Why don't you just say, hey, listen, I heard this crazy sermon today, and my stupid pastor made me call you. So I'm just doing what he told me to. But I need to talk to you about your eternity. It's eternity. I hope you catch 
the serious nature and the urgency of this sermon. Because ultimately, judgment comes and it's costly. The price of God's judgment is life. If you sin, he told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you sin by eating the fruit that I told you not to, you will die. Now, again, don't think of this as just an angry dad going, I told you don't touch the stove. I told you not to do this. You get what you deserve. I'm mad at you, and I'm exacting that on you because you disobeyed me. That's not so much as the way it is. It's just a law of reality, of super, um, supernatural, eternal reality law. It's a natural result. If God's word is life, listen, if God's word is life, then disobeying and ignoring his word is death. It's just the natural consequence. The plagues that illustrate the fear and the pain and the destruction, the devastation of sin point to what it ultimately leads to in death. And if we're living in a world that embraces sin, how good did Egypt feel after the flies, after the gnats, after the darkness, after the hailstorms? After the water turned to blood, the frogs in every place. How did the, the land of Egypt look? It looked messed up because sin always results in pain and destruction and fear. But ultimately, it leads to death. And that's how many of us are frankly living. Our lives are hurting. Our emotions are in pain. We don't know what tomorrow brings, and we really don't want to see it honestly because we're living in sin. And in Egypt, generation after generation, Pharaoh after Pharaoh ignored God's word. They said to God, I don't know the Lord, and I furthermore will not let the people go. I refuse to listen to God. I refuse to listen to his spokespeople. And the banner of death hangs over their door. But there's hope. The price of God's judgment is a life. What if? What if there was a life that was not guilty that could be substituted for guilty? What if this picture of the Passover lamb is a picture of Jesus? What if the death of the Egyptian firstborn sons and daughters is a foreshadowing of an only begotten son and God's judgment for our sin, which cost him his life. Guys, listen, in the end, we have to admit that God's judgment is fair. And we have warning, and we have his patience. But in the end, God said, I'm going to do something else. We deserve judgment. We deserve anything that God wants to give us. But thankfully, there is a God who said, Nope, I'll pay. I won't charge you for your sin. I'll give you grace instead of judgment. I will, I will let you be mine through the blood of Jesus Christ. I told you all good sermons kind of end here. This is the story of our judgment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, whoever, me, you, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh is in your life. Whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. John 3, 17 is just as exciting. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God did not come in Jesus to say, I'm going to judge you. 
He came in Jesus to say, I'm going to save you. And so when we come to this door, we have to consider judgment. It's a picture of what we deserve. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you, on, at this moment, in this time, on this day, it's still not too late. For those of us who are in Christ, we worship the Lamb for the price He's paid for us. Midnight is coming. Which side of the door are you on? You got to be sure that answer because it's one of eternal significance. Amen.